God's Word. All right, let's take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to go to the last book of the Old Testament, and that is the book of Malachi. So if you will go to Matthew, go to the left, just a couple of pages from chapter 1, and you will go to the book of Malachi. Very, very small little book. Uh, there are only three, uh, four chapters in it. They are all very short chapters. We're going to finish up. I'm sure some of you are probably glad. They are, we're finishing up today talking about money. And we're going to finish up talking about finances and stewardship today. And I appreciate that, that sermon that Pastor, or I want to say pastor, he is a pastor, uh, but that chaplain Travis gave last week in the, explaining the parable of the talents. He did a great job. I was able to listen to it uh, last Sunday morning, watch it on, on Facebook live stream, and he did, a, he did a great job. In fact, he did such a great job that I'm not going to mention who, but someone mentioned, why don't you just have him come every quarter and preach? He did such a great job, okay? Uh, no, I did not get my feelings hurt, all right? Even though I know she meant it, but I'm not going to get my feelings hurt, all right? Uh, but he did, do a, he did do a great job. And, I, you know, one thing that impresses me about him is his humility. He is just a very, very humble uh, the chaplaincy to him is not a job, it's a ministry. And he really loves his soldiers. He really loves what he's doing. He really loves ministering to those families. And he's from Michigan? Well, we won't hold that against him, all right? <laughs> so this morning, we're, we're going to finish up our, our discussion, our lessons on, the, on finances and stewardship. We, we began... Uh, some weeks ago, and we were looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So we looked at how, how Paul gave a challenge to give. He was challenging the, the church of Corinth to give. And then, uh, the second lesson we looked at is how the church is to manage the tithes and the offerings of God's people. And then, uh, thirdly, uh, I talked about the motive for giving. Why some people give and why some people do not give. Then last week, Pastor or Chaplain Travis uh, gave the parable of the talents, and this morning we're gonna we're gonna finish up this morning. So we're gonna look at another very important part of finances and stewardship, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at a at a subject. And Sean and I were talking a little little bit about this yesterday, and it's a subject that, to be quite honest, over the last few years has become quite controversial. And the controversy is this. Is tithing a New Testament command? Is tithing a New Testament command? Well, I'm going to go and answer that for you. It is not a command. So to tithe is not a command given in the New Testament. But yet, the principle of tithing is given in the New Testament. Not only is the principle of tithing giving, but also the principle of giving offerings is in the New Testament as well. 
So this is one of those areas. John MacArthur does not believe in tithing. He believes in the free will offerings of people. I disagree with him. As much as I admire Dr. MacArthur, he is, he is, when it comes to people that I admire, he is at the top of the list. But this is an area, and I've listened to his arguments, I've, I've read his, his, uh, his sermons on it, and I, I, while I, I see his points, I don't necessarily agree with his points. This is one of those areas that I think you could probably say is a gray area. That you could, you could point out from Scripture your viewpoint, another person could put out their viewpoint, and you could basically say, you know what, I see your viewpoint, this is my viewpoint, we may just have to agree to disagree on that. And that's fine, you can still be brothers and sisters in Christ and agree to disagree on it. But I'm going to give you some principles this morning about why the Christian should tithe. Not only tithe, but also give of your gifts and offerings. I looked at some, spit it out, Dwayne, statistics this past week. Studies show that the average Christian that gives, they give 2 to 3% of their income to local churches and charities. Some studies even suggest that some give a portion of their financial leftovers to the church. So they pay their bills, put their money in savings, do whatever they want to do with their money, and then they look at, well, I've got this money left over. All right, I'll give a tenth of my leftover. Is that scriptural? We'll look at all these areas this morning. But the Bible does have standards. And the Bible does set a standard in the Old Testament about the giving of tithes and offerings. But just because it is in the Old Testament, that does not mean that the principle of tithing and giving of gifts and offerings is done away with. The principle is still there in the New Testament. So let's look at verses 8 through 12 this morning. Verse 8 says, will a man rob God? There's a question. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says uh, the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Well, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon this this morning. I pray, Father, as we look at this subject this morning, and I know that in some minds, some people's minds and in their thoughts, they think that the Old Testament command of the giving of tithes and offerings is, a, is an Old Testament command and does not need to be abided by today. Uh, but we also have those that believe that since it was given in the Old Testament, it needs to continue on into the New Testament 
church that we live in today. But Father, as we look at the scripture this morning, I pray, Father, that we would learn. I pray, Father, that we would not only learn, but we would also apply what we have learned. And may your name be honored and glorified. Help us to focus now upon this today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to give you just a one point I want to give you this morning. We'll go to another one. The first point is this. What is the tithe? What is meant in Scripture of what is the tithe? Well, it comes, the, the word tithe, the Hebrew word is actually the word masah, which means a tenth. Okay, just a tenth. Now, if, if you want to write these things down, if you have maybe, maybe an area or maybe a book with you, you can write this down. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 29, discusses the detailed system of giving based on tithing. Okay, so the Israelites were commanded to give a tenth of what they gained, a tenth of their income. They were to give, and they were to give right off of the top, not leftovers. They were to give right off of the top. Okay, it was called the temple tax or the tithe. Now, if they did not give their tithe, they were then required, they were given a penalty. The penalty was... A 20% penalty. So it was better to do what? Pay your tenth. Because if you don't pay your tenth, then guess what? It's going to get doubled. That was a huge deterrent, right? Just go ahead and pay the tenth. Go ahead and get it over with. That way you're not stuck with paying a 20% penalty. Now, here's the question that I've been asked. Since the giving of tithes and offerings was given in the law of Moses, we don't live by the law, we live by grace. Is that a legitimate question? Of course it is. That's a legitimate question, but it has a major hole in that question. And here's the hole. I want you to keep your finger here, but I want you to go to the very first book of the Bible, and that is the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 14. So as you're turning there, who is the father of the Hebrew people? Is it Moses? Who is it? Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons of Father Abraham. So it was Abraham. Now, it was give, the command was given in the law of Moses. That is correct. But the principle was given before the law of Moses. So let's look at uh, verses 18 through 20. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a background here. There was a, an individual by the name of Melchizedek. We do not know who Melchizedek was, other than he was a priest from Salem. He is mentioned in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. Many believe that Melchizedek was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And 
And as you look at Melchizedek, you look for his background, it does not give his genealogy. And it says that he had no mother nor father. So he has no genealogy of being able to trace his background. Okay, but he appears before Abraham as a priest. Now, let's look at verse, let's, let's begin with verse 17. It says, then after his return from the defeat of Shadolah, yeah, you get it, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High. Possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave a tenth of all. Then the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, uh, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their share. Now, I want you to look back at verse 20. What did Abram give to Melchizedek? A tenth. A tenth of what Abram was able to, to win in his battle. He gave Melchizedek a tenth of it. What is the tenth in the Old Testament? The tithe. So is that before the law of Moses or after the law of Moses? It's before the law of Moses. So just because it is in the law of Moses does not mean that we should stop living by it. The principle started before it was given in the law of Moses. So here's the basis of the tithe. So let's go back to the, the Malachi chapter 3. Here's the basis of it. And it begins with a question. Will a man rob God? So the prophet Malachi is asking a question here. Is it, a, it is a question of astonishment. Will a man rob God? And really what he is asking here, with everything that God has given you, he has given you jobs, he has given you homes, he has given you food, he has given you deliverance after deliverance after deliverance after deliverance, and yet you are still robbing from God. So really what he is asking here, if God owns everything, how can you steal from God? The explanation, they robbed God by withholding from, what, from him of what rightfully belongs to him to begin with. So there's a question of astonishment. Astonished that a person that has been given so much by God would withhold from God what is rightfully his to begin with. 
God called it robbery because they, talking about the Israelites, were unlawfully holding on to God what was rightfully his to begin with. Why were they withholding it? And I think both of these areas we could apply to our lives as well. The first thing is this. They had fear of losing what they had worked so hard to get to begin with. Hey, I've worked hard for this money. I've worked hard in overtime to get this. I've worked hard in my extra job to have this. This is my money. This is my property that I have worked hard to get. So if I give even a portion of it to God, I'm going to be missing out on having that for myself. But they also misjudged God. They had no fear of God. They did not believe that God would either judge them or that he would bless them. See, when we give the tithe or the 10% of our gross income right off of the top, God is still leaving us with 90%. He is still leaving us with 90% of our gross income to do with it what we please. 10%, when you look at it, is 10% really a whole lot when you look at it? I submit to you, no. It really isn't. You still have 90% of your income that you can work with. Now, I understand you still have to pay taxes on it. Understand all of that? But yet, God is still leaving us with 90%. But because God's people did not give as he had commanded, God was refusing to grant them his blessings. He is refusing to grant them his blessings, not only materially, but worse of all, spiritually. Because they had grown stingy with God. And since they had grown stingy with God, God had grown stingy with them. So the instruction of how to give their tithe, that was they were to bring it to the storehouse. What was the storehouse? It was the temple. So I want you to look back here. It says, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the what? The storehouse. What is our storehouse? It's not the bank. It's the church. The church is our storehouse. So that is the basis of the tithe. You say, okay, Dwayne, I get all that. I understand it. You're preaching through the choir here. I get it. But what about the New Testament? What about the New Testament? Okay, what about the New Testament? Well, yes, we do live underneath the New Covenant. That's what the means of uh, the New Testament. The Testament just simply means covenant. Yes, we do live in the New Covenant. Yes, there is nowhere in the New Testament that gives a command to tithe. I understand that. But yet, there is a principle of tithing that is still given in the New Testament. Christ spoke of that principle when he spoke to the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, he said, But woe to you Pharisees! You pay tithes of mint, rue, and every kind of garden herb, and yet you ignore justice and the love of God. 
but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Okay, what did Christ mean by that? He said, yeah, you are tithing, I get it, but what is your motive in tithing? He was getting them to question of why they were giving. Was it to give out of obligation? Was it given to look good to others? Was it given that you can have another tax write-off on your income taxes? Or were you given out of love for the Lord? And see, tithing is not a principle, as I've already said. It was not a principle just given in the law of Moses. It was established long before Moses with the giving of Abraham to Abram at that time to Melchizedek. And once again, that is repeated, if you want to write this down, of Hebrews chapter 7, verses 5 through 9. That same principle is given by the repeat of Abraham given to Melchizedek of giving the tithe. But the New Testament does speak of the motive to give. Now I want you to go, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The Apostle Paul gave a crystal clear instructions about giving. There's four of them, and they all begin with the letter P. Verses 1 and 2. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Okay, so, so there's four P's here. The first one is this. How, how are we to give? The first one is this, periodically. When is that? The first day of the week. When is that? Sunday. Now, I understand that because we live in a hustle and bustle society, uh, some of you work on Sundays, you're not able to give, uh, or maybe you only get paid once a month, maybe you get paid twice a month, you don't get paid weekly, or, or maybe it's just easier for you to have it on easy tithe where it's just deducted right out of your account on easy tithe. I understand all that, but here's the principle. The principle is given that you do it periodically. You do it regularly. The second one is you do it, it's planned. It's planned. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. You plan your giving. Okay, how can we say that today? I know in some homes, this is like the bad, bad word. It is a bad word. Budget. You budget your giving. <laughs> For some reason, Sonia, you came to my mind. <laughs> but it's called budget. You plan it. You plan your giving. When you plan it, it is just that much easier to give it. You just plan it. Thirdly, you proportionally give as he may prosper, proportionally. Now, should we give 
yes, to receive blessings from God? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, I don't think we should give and expect to get a check in the mailbox to the next week for a million dollars. Okay? But what about rewards in eternity? I had someone recently tell me, he said, Dwayne, I've been given, and I've been given, and I've been given. In fact, I'm given above my given, and I had my work hours cut. I'm losing out on work. You know what? That may be a test from God to see if you will be, still be faithful in your giving. It may be God saying to you through these circumstances, he may be saying to you, you know what? When you had plenty, you were being faithful. Now you don't have as much plenty. Are you still going to be faithful? I'm going to test you. Now God knows what's going to happen, but he's going to use that testing to prove yourself, to prove to yourself that you are going to remain faithful. And then lastly, there's periodically planned, proportionally there's private. There's private. So that no collections may be made when I come. You do it privately. In other words, you don't give with the intention of people seeing you give. You don't make it an event. You don't walk up to somebody in the church and say, hey, I'm giving my tithe today. Look. And you throw it like a Frisbee. Okay? And we don't stand back here to make sure everybody that walks in is putting in the offering plate either. Okay? I've said this many, many times. I don't know who gives. Okay? I know of one family that gives, and that's because when I go visit them at home, they give me their, their tithes. Because they can't come to church. And she makes sure before I walk out the door, whoa, 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 Dwayne, get back here. I need to give you my tithes. Okay. No problem. I'll wait. So they give me their tithes. But I don't know anybody else in this room, in this church that tithes. I don't know how much they tithe. I don't care. I don't want to know. That's between you and the Lord. So what is the purpose of the tithe? Let me give you three things here real quick. What is the purpose of it? Well, the primary purpose of the Old Testament tithe was to support the priest. See, the priests were not allowed to work outside of the temple. That was their job. In fact, if I was an Old Testament priest, I, was not, I am now nine months past retirement. From 25 years of age to 50, you were to work as a priest. At the age of 50, you were to retire. That was it. You're done. All right? You're finished. You're old. You're 50. Okay? Now, they still took care of them. They still, I mean, they weren't like thrown out in the woods and left to starve to death. They still took care of them. But it was used to support the priest. Their calling was to minister to the Lord. In Deuteronomy 14.27, it says, Also you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. They didn't have a 401k. They didn't have a retirement fund. They just simply took care of them. There's many churches today that when a pastor retires, they make him the pastor emeritus. That means they still take care of him. And they still take care of his wife. That should he die, they still take care of the wife. They still continue to pay a salary 
to his wife to make sure that she doesn't have to live off of Social Security. She doesn't have to live off of any, maybe, some insurance that he may have had or to live off of their children. If they have children, the church still takes care of them. The same principle is applied to today. How is that applied to today? Well, we have to pay the salary and benefits of the elder, the pastor of the church. Paul told Timothy this, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, the elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. You say, well, now what is meant by that term double honor? It means two things. First thing is this, it means a proper respect. Now, I, I, don't, I don't expect anybody, in fact, Rob just asked me recently, he said, how do we call you? I said, Dwayne. Okay, I, I don't, if people want to call me pastor, I'm fine with that. Now, if people want to call me reverend, I am definitely not good with that one. People want to call me pastor, I'm fine with that. That is, that is something that, especially in the South, that people have grown up with, that that is what they call the pastor, and I'm very fine with that. But also, if you call me Dwayne, I'm very fine with that too. You can call, just don't call me bad names, okay? But I'm very fine with that. But it does mean that you have a proper respect for the elder, for the pastor. That's why I call Pastor Ken, Pastor Ken. I think maybe in, in casual conversation I have called him Ken, or maybe in a text maybe I've called him Ken, but in others he is Pastor Ken, or he is Elder Ken. Yeah, thank you, I appreciate that. But it also means this, financial security. That the pastor of the elder is financially secure. One study Bible says this. He said, elders who serve with greater commitment, excellence, and effort should have greater acknowledgement from their congregations. This expression does not mean such men should receive exactly twice as much remuneration as others or income. But because they have earned such respect, they should be paid more generously. But then also there's a command to utilize the tithe to take care of the poor. Now, who are the poor? It is the poor within the church. Not the poor that come knocking on our doors looking for a handout or that call me. I got a phone call this past week. Hey, uh, I'm staying at hotel, such and such hotel on 301. It's just me and my dog. Uh, uh, can, I, can you come out and help me? Well, I said, no, I'm not going to go help you. I said, you can get a cab or an Uber, and you can come to our church on Wednesday night or Sunday morning and meet with a deacon. And then we'll determine whether or not you need help. You know what? That, that ends the conversation very quickly. It's a click. That command was given in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 through 29. It talks about every third year, you shall bring out all the tithes of your produce in that year. You shall deposit in your town, and the stranger, the orphan, the widow shall come and eat and be satisfied. What do we call that in today's age? We call that a benevolent offering. 
So why should we give our tithes? I'm going to give you three principles very quickly. First one is this. When we give our tithe, we are showing to God that He is first in our lives. We are showing to God that He is first in our lives. We talked about that in the very first, first lesson. When we give our tithe, we prove, we prove the promises that are made by God. Back in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 of Malachi, that He wants us to test Him. He says, test me, prove me. To allow Him to prove that He will fulfill His word. The only way to honor Him is to make Him first, especially in the area of our finances. And when we tithe, we benefit from God's blessings on our personal lives, our material lives, but most of all, most importantly, our spiritual lives. When we give our tithes, we bring praise to God. But also when we give our tithes, we are participating in God's work. We are participating in God's work. How do we do that? Well, you know, we don't depend upon denominational dollars. We depend, we depend upon the tithes and offerings of our membership, our attenders. So how do we use the tithes and offerings here? Well, we have to maintain the church. We have to pay our utilities. We have to clean. There's things that have to be done here at the church to make it presentable. You know, back in Haggai chapter 1 verse 4, the prophet Haggai challenged the Israelites. He said, you're living in these beautiful, well or uh, uh, adored, paneled homes, expensive homes, while the temple is falling apart and is neglected. You also needed the purchase of teaching materials, such as Sunday school materials, adventure club materials, the payment of salaries, the, pay, the payment of benefits, but also the support of missionaries, missionary efforts around the globe. You say, okay, I get it. What about our offerings? Well, it proves to God that we are willing to go above and beyond what is required. It proves to the Lord our love for Him and others. It shows our true motive of giving. And that is, we don't give out of obligation, but we give out of love. Now, let me give you three applications very quickly. Everything we own is not ours. Your car is not your car. Your job is not your job. Your home is not your home. Your income is not your income. Your retirement is not your retirement. It's God's. God has blessed you with it. And God expects you to be a good steward over what God has given you. It all belongs to God. Secondly, our money represents our true character and who we truly are. What do we learn about Bernie Madoff? We learned that he was just a despicable human being. Poor character. He was a thief. But then thirdly, God does not need our tithes and offerings. But He uses our tithes and our offerings to bring glory to His name. But also the church depends upon the tithes and offerings of His people to support the church. Let's pray together, maybe. Our Father, we do thank You, Lord, for this time that we can look at Your Word. And Father, while 
We have discussed the Old Testament command of the giving of tithes and offerings in the New Testament. We still see the principles of the giving of tithes and offerings in the New Testament. But Father, help us to be good stewards as we have been talking the last few weeks. And we'll continue talking throughout the, the year of as required of stewards that we be found faithful. And Father, I pray now dismiss us with our blessing in just a few moments as we sing our closing hymn today. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Ken. Stand with me. Uh, We will close the service with singing. I've often told you I try to uh, choose songs that will kind of stick with you the rest of the day and maybe even through the week. And just a glad um, expression of our love for Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. 164. Sing the first and last stanzas together. Blessed truth as we sing. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often. heavy laden are we weak and heavy laden cumbered with a load of care precious Savior still our refuge take it to the Lord in prayer do thy friends despise pray together shall we heavenly father we rejoice in the teaching and the preaching of your word today i trust everyone that's gathered here and those listening or watching today have actually spent time in worship at the throne of a holy 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 god and father we appreciate the chance to gather today There are places in this world where believers cannot gather in public, and we have that great privilege, and we thank you for that. Thank you for our pastor and his study and his uh, proclamation of the word today. I pray that you bring us back safely now for the six o'clock hours. We study the word again, and I pray your blessing on us as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen.